haven't. Oh my gosh. It's the heart of Amish country. And I've got this fascination with the Amish. And uh, we were at a family reunion, and one day we were tasked with going to the hardware store to get something. And as we came out of the hardware store, we noticed that across the parking lot was this long, low-slung building. And the back of it were like 100 to 150 horses and buggies. So we are very curious, so we walked over there and we talked to a guy who was non-Amish that was standing there, and I said, what is this? And he says, well, this is a horse stable. Yeah, but what's with all the buggies? And he goes, oh, we're having a horse auction here. And I thought to myself, whoa. <laughs> I mean, how many of you have horse auction, Amish horse auction on your bucket list? Who else? <laughs> I thought, can we go see it? And they said, yes, just you can go through the stable, take a right, and go up these stairs. And so, so he says, but be careful where you walk, because <laughs> horse stuff, you know. So we were, and, and we went through and walked up, and we walked up the stairs into this room. And this was the room, except it was packed on all the sides with Amish people. Now, the Amish call us the English uh, if, in truth be known, the Amish uh, want to keep the English at arm's length because they're concerned that the way we live our lives might not be helpful for their spiritual lives. That's sobering, isn't it? <laughs> so we walked in, and I was hoping, because of my fascination with the Amish, to, that we'd be invited to sit in one of the rows, and we'd have these great conversations, uh, and we realized that that just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> And I was more than a little disappointed. You see, I wanted a, a deeper look into their life, their, their view of normal. I wanted to have a conversation or two, but I wasn't going to get it, at least not at that moment. And, it, you know, trust needs to be earned. And after all, they were there to buy and sell horses. I was just curious. They weren't there to talk to me. But I wanted more than they were able to give in that moment. And so Anita and myself found ourselves on the outside looking in. And, and that can be a really, really frustrating place. The scripture we're going to read is a story of an interaction between Jesus and 10 people who were forced to spend their lives on the outside of normalcy. They were always looking in. They had what one translation of scripture calls a dread skin disease also known as leprosy. And to have leprosy was a death sentence, made you a social outcast. No one wanted to be around you. Lepers were asked to ring a bell and yell unclean and clean when they came down the street. And lepers often banded together, kind of a company of the afflicted, strange bedfellows, even Jews and Samaritans living together. And that just didn't happen back in that age. It's a little like the Hatfields and McCoys being forced to make nice. Or it's akin to congressional Democrats actually having a discussion with congressional Republicans. <laughs> to have leprosy was a death sentence. Why was there the animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews? Samaritans thought the Jews were fake Jews. And the Jews thought the Samaritans were more pagan than Jewish. 
There were long-standing religious and ethnic issues dividing them, and that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> so they kept each other at arm's length because they considered the others to be, I'm looking for the Hebrew word here, yucky. <laughs> they just thought each other were yucky. But Jesus always defined expectations, went where a good Jew never chose to go, into the borderlands between Samaria and Israel. Come on. The scripture passage is from Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leopards approached him, keeping their distance. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. That was Oscar worthy. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. I mean, that's great. That's... You showed us exactly what happened there. What we learned through all the scripture passages is that Jesus had turned towards Jerusalem where he was going to die. And as usual, on the journey, he was interrupted. And in the interruptions, the most interesting things happened. By the way, if you were a companion of Jesus back then and were time conscious at all, how many of you are like that? You know, you whole, your whole life would have been filled with frustration. There had to be a disciple somewhere going, <laughs> we got that, we got reservations at six. <laughs> at that taco place you love. <laughs> it, it, it fills up fast. Come on, Jesus. But for Jesus, uh, interruptions were his ministry. If you look through scriptures, that's what you saw. Interruptions were his ministry, uh, just as I think it's our ministry. And these lepers were calling out loudly at a distance. And, and it's almost the perfect prayer. The NIV has it like this. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And what they're saying is, heal us. We're begging you, heal us. We're tired of our disease, and we're tired of always be, being on the outside looking in. And Jesus looked at them, but he didn't go to them. A little odd. He didn't touch them, even odder. And Jesus shouts back to them, go show yourself to the priests. Well, why would he say that? Because the priests are the ones, and the only ones, who could declare you healed. That was the tradition, that was the law. And Jesus was saying, in effect, if you do what I tell you to do, 
you will be healed. And so they left. They took a giant step of faith. And along the way, guess what? They were healed. All of them, but only one came back. And he was the Samaritan. And untouchable as far as the Jews were concerned. A foreigner, Jesus called him. The English, as the Amish might say. And Jesus was almost snippy about the nine. Well, didn't, didn't I heal ten of you? Where, where are the other nine? And, and, and every time I read that, I just want to say to Jesus, oh, come on. Cut them some slack. The nine were just doing as you were told them to do. They were being obedient. They're doing exactly what they to- you told them to do. Nothing wrong with that there, is there? And, and, and all the rule keepers in the room here, how, how many of you are rule keepers? <laughs> you know, yeah, raise your, you can raise it a little louder. That's, you know, your hands a little louder like this, yeah, yeah. You're saying preach it. <laughs> but the one who came back though, the one who rushed back to thank Jesus as soon as he realized he was healed, I, I don't even think he made it to the priests. <laughs> Seemingly did not abide by the rules. And rules keepers, that's okay. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with that. And he was judged to have done the better thing. And so this is what we have. We have this beautiful picture of the Samaritan standing before the Jew. The outsider who's now on the inside And Jesus, who we know now is the high priest of all high priests, right? Declares him to be well. But I've always had a question about this passage. Why did he come back? I mean, was it just to say thanks? Was he bred with good manners? And I was assigned this at the church I came from one time, and I was sitting out on her back deck in suburban Chicago, and I pondered that question. I didn't have a good answer And as I pondered that question, a a prayer came to my mind. It's a a prayer by a man named A.W. Tozer, who was a pastor in the Chicago area back in the day. And this is his prayer. He says, Oh God, I have tasted your goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory, I pray, that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And then give me the grace to rise up and follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. And when I read that prayer, when I had it up on my iPad, I said, this is it. This is the leper's prayer. I know why he came back. I think the heals, the Samaritan leper came back after his healing because he wanted more. He had tasted the goodness of the Lord and he wasn't satisfied. He had wandered so long in the misty lowland, banished by society. The physical healing was good, but it wasn't enough. He wanted more Jesus. 
Why go to the priest when there's so much of Jesus left to discover? So he took a risk. He went back, counting on Jesus not to make too big a deal of his disobedience, <laughs> that he would honor his search for more. And could it be that the other nine were satisfied with just tasting the goodness of God? And perhaps they weren't looking for more. And the question is, are we? question as I personalize it, am I? And I think it's an important question because sometimes we can just settle to be in the goodness of God, but do we really want more? I was on the staff of a youth ministry organization for a number of years called Young Life International in Scope, and I got the privilege of being asked to go to a, a kind of a senior leaders conference up at a place called Trail West Lodge, up high in the mountains of Colorado, beautiful place. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to interact with some of the pioneers of Young Life. These were men and women that, oh man, they, they were like heroes, you know? I mean, they were like the cubs to me, you know, just <laughs> people I wanted uh, to know. And early in the morning before breakfast, a lot of us younger guys, I used to be young, uh, were standing around and we were just talking and yucking it up and having a good time. And some of these legends came in. And they were great. They were so nice, so kind, you know, laughed with us for just a bit. And then they left. They each went and found a chair in this big lobby and they situated the chair so they had a, a little bit of private space. And we noticed that they took out of their bag three things, a Bible, a journal, and a pen. And we watched them. We watched them just spend time with God. They had what I wanted. Couldn't put my finger on what that was, but I wanted what they wanted, and what did they have? Listen to this from Ephesians 1.9. For God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan. Do you like secrets? <laughs> the secret of his plan, and it is this, all creation, everything that exists on heaven and on earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And that's what they had. They knew the secret. And the secret was Christ himself, and they arranged their lives in such a way as to be in habitual contact with him. And for them, it started first thing in the morning. And I was impressed by the fact that these folks that I considered to be holy people just wanted more of God. By the end of the week, <laughs> we were all doing what they were doing. <laughs> we wanted what they had. There was something about their life that was so compelling. It was clear they were, they were being formed in the image of Jesus. They, their lives burst with abundance. Their impact on others was considerable. I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? So we played a little game of follow the leader <laughs> with journal and Bible and pen. We found a chair and we met with God. To this day, I continue to ask myself the question, do I still want this? Today, do I really want more of God? Do I really want to find my perfection and fulfillment in Christ? I want you to ask that question yourself. 
Do you truly want to pursue finding your fulfillment in Christ and no other? In the 1950s, as the racial unrest in our country was coming to a boil, a man named Wilbur Rees wrote this little poem that describes what I've just been talking about in a little bit different way. He wrote this, he says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. <laughs> I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a, a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Wow. You know, the Samaritan leper wasn't settling for a $3 God, was he? The leaders in Young Life weren't settling for a $3 God. They wanted everything the Lord had to offer. More, not less. Even if it brought them to a place of doing the uncomfortable thing, like picking beets with a migrant, you can picture this in the 50s, or loving a black man in the deep south in the 1950s, or like the leopard to come back to Jesus, even if it meant breaking the rules, or a Samaritan asking a Jewish rabbi for more, Go figure. That Samaritan, his desire for more was greater than his desire to play it safe. And you know something, folks? I've discovered that sometimes the better thing is to not choose the path of least resistance, nor the path of smaller possibilities. You know, the story is told of a young student who went to his spiritual teacher and asked the question, Master, how can I truly find God? And the teacher asked the student to accompany him to the river, uh, which ran by the village and invited him to go into the water. When he got to the middle of the stream, uh, the teacher said, please immerse yourself in the water. The student did as he instructed, whereupon the, the teacher put his hands on the young man's head and held him under the water. After a bit, the young man began to struggle. The master held him under still. A moment passed, and the student was thrashing and beating the water with his arms. Still, still the master held him under the water. Finally, the student was released, and he shot up from the water, lungs aching, gasping for air. And the teacher waited for a few minutes and then said, when you desire God, as truly as you desire to breathe the air, you just breathe. Then, then you shall find God. Anything good starts with desire. You want to have a good marriage? Desire. You want to have good grades? One uh, does. Desire. <laughs> Desire. 
Want to be a good employee? Starts with desire. I've run across a whole lot of people in my ministry that wanted all the blessings of God, but didn't have the desire, the heart, to really walk with him. They wanted a million-dollar life and were settling for a three-dollar God. They desired more, but didn't desire the God who could offer them more. And you know what? They missed the point of it all. I have a hunch that there's people in this room today that are looking for more, not less. And that's why you're here. You know you need this weekly reminder not to settle for less than what God has for you. And there are times when you get stuck despite your best intentions. And when you're stuck, when, when we're stuck, we're looking for someone, anyone to push us out of whatever rut we're in so we can fully live into what God has for us. That's why we're here at Church of the Palms, because that's what Church of the Palm does. We give reminders. We pull people out of ruts. We help people cultivate the desire for more of God. The Samaritan leper models what has been the pattern for so many yearning for more. He cried out for help. He stepped out in faith. He turned around. He acknowledged he wanted and needed more. He acted on that desire. And what did he do? He sought the presence of Jesus. And he didn't want to leave. You know something we can do just that? Our good God is always present and always available. He doesn't mind being interrupted, especially by you. Because that good God is crazy in love with you and you and you and you. Your picture is on his refrigerator door. <laughs> and in his own way, he'll make you feel like you're his well, that you're his favorite. And he will be delighted to show you what more is all about. And that's the best deal ever. All we have to do is ask. Let's pray. Oh God, we have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied us and made us thirsty for more. We are conscious of our need of further grace and confess to our periodic lapses of desire. But God, help us to want you, to long to be filled with longing, to be made more thirsty still. We want to know you. Begin in mercy a new work of love within us. Say to our souls, rise up from this misty lowland where we wander all too often. Help us, help us, Lord, to open our hearts to more of you. Amen.